Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today is the author of Scattered Lights, a collection of short stories that was a finalist for the 2021 Penn Faulkner Award in Fiction. He also has written three historical novels, The Language of Trees, This Old World, and Slant of Light. The fourth novel in that series will be coming out in 2023. My guest grew up in the Missouri Ozarks, where most of his fiction is set, and worked there as a newspaper reporter before entering the field of higher education. He taught journalism, English, and communication for a number of colleges and universities during his career, but is now retired from teaching and writes full-time. The son of a rural librarian, he was most proud this year when he received the Missouri Author Award from the Missouri Library Association. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Steve Wigenstein. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you, Steve. And our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, so what took you so long to write a book? Well, of course, I was working full-time, and that's the standard excuse, I'm sure. Uh, but all the while that I was working, I was writing short stories. So even though the story collection didn't come out until November of 2020, it had been building for literally decades. Um, as I would write a story, publish it, I always tried to keep my hand in on writing, even as I was working. Um, so, uh, my first book was actually a novel, uh, which did take a long time, really, because, um, you know, not not to sound silly about it, but I just didn't feel quite ready to do it until once it, I had a, what I thought was a really irresistible idea and uh, and then enough free time to, to get to work on it. So... Um, Everything uh, happens in its own time, I suppose, and certainly with the with the, this collection, it's something that that's really developed over a long, long, long time. Tell us about the difference in writing short stories and novels, not just the length, but how do you wrap your head around those different formats? Well, they really are different uh, stylistically, and you have to approach them in a, in a different way. Um, because with, with a short story, you're aiming for a really concentrated effect and you don't have time to mess around. You know, you got to get right to 
your essential elements and, and set up characters very, very quickly. Um, so it's kind of like um, doing fine work. You know, if you're doing needlepoint or something, uh, you have to pay attention to every tiny thing. Um, I kind of enjoy writing short stories for, for that reason, because, you know, if you if you get a good idea, uh, you can knock one out in a week's time, <laughs> you know, at least the, the better part of it anyway. Uh, and that's pretty satisfying, as you can imagine. Uh, with a novel, you're in for the long haul and you have to, uh, in, in my uh, experience anyway, you have to pace yourself because you can't write it in a hurry. You have to settle in and sort of figure things out as you go. Um, so it's much more kind of a long-term job and, uh, and you have to approach it with, uh, with that kind of discipline. You know, you really have to discipline yourself to write a novel. Uh, whereas with a short story, you can wait for inspiration to stream. <laughs> it doesn't work when you're a novel writer. You have to kind of give inspiration a push. Well, years ago, we were told that short story collections were a harder sale, but now that's not the case anymore, is it? No, it's not. Um, and, you know, I think they kind of ebb and flow. Um Certainly, in in the case of my collection, I got a lot more um, recognition than I ever imagined I would for it. I was just happy to see them published in book form. You know, it's like, oh gosh, these stories, some of which had been published, you know, in the 1990s, were seeing a sort of second life, and I was quite thrilled about that. But then, when it you know got some recognition and was starting to gather awards and and selling books, I thought, well. This is just icing on the cake for me. Um, and there are, there have been quite a few really nice story collections that have come out lately that are just really rewarding. So maybe the maybe the genre is back in flower for a while again. I think so. The library in my Mississippi hometown is named for my mother. So I understand why you were so happy to receive such a prestigious award from the State Library Association. They're a tough audience and you did it. <laughs> you can't you can't uh, snooker a library. No. <laughs> they read too many books. <laughs> yeah. I know. That's what makes that award so precious, I'm sure. It was. It was a really uh, a moment of pride. And uh, the library in my hometown is named after my mom, too, because she founded it uh, or was instrumental in, in founding it. So they named it after once it uh, is in its new building. Um, and when they dedicated that library, my, my brother had some little buttons made with, our, with her photograph on it and it was kind of a slogan. So I wore that to the uh, to the uh, uh, conference of the Library Association, just as a kind of reminder. And uh, it was a very proud moment for me and hopefully for her. That's very special. Once yeah. you wrote your first book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent? Did you decide to choose a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? Uh, like a lot of first-time authors, um, I was not very well informed about the whole publishing process. So I probably wasted a good eight to 12 months uh, searching for an agent. 
um, which was a fruitless search. Um, and I finally found, it was, it was kind of one of those stories where I, I finally did find an agent who said, I like your uh, material uh, because it was a historical fiction, a historical novel. And she said, uh, but, it, you know, you need to really go epic with this. Make it, make it one of those big historical novels that people love to read. And so I thought, well, okay, I can do that. So he boosted it up by about 30,000 words <laughs> and, you know, stretched it and made it, made it epic, so to speak. Uh, and then she said, it doesn't really quite do it either. Uh, and we parted ways. So then I went back on the search again, started going to conferences where I was able to meet personally with uh, not just agents, but, but also editors and acquisition editors and publishers. Um, had a wonderful conversation with a, a small press publisher who did indeed end up publishing it. So, that, so when I sent them the manuscript, they said, oh, we really like this, but it's too long. So I took out 34,000 words, except they weren't the same 30,000 that I put in <laughs> the first time. So it was a torturous process. But honestly, it was one of those things where after all was said and done, it ended up being a lot better book than it was at the beginning. So I don't regret having what looked like wasted a year or a year and a half through that process because the end result was, was I think, substantially improved. So all was to the good as far as I was concerned. And I've stayed with that press ever since. What about the editing process for you uh, during that time? Did, was there a lot that, that ended up on the cutting room floor? I know you tightened it up, but were there specific things that you really wanted to be in the book that ended up on the cutting room floor? Um, the only thing, well, a couple of things. One is I, I generally kind of trust my own judgment when it comes to editing. Um, and the one thing that I take out myself is I think the great pitfall of a lot of historical writers, uh, which is the research. Um, I, you probably had this experience yourself reading a book and you come to this big information dump of a page and a half or two pages where, you know, one character turns to the other and says, as you know, Bob, <laughs> the, the use of steel in sword making goes back to the 1400s. And, and you can see that the author has done all this research and is just determined to put it in there, by golly. Uh, and so I've tried to be pretty rigorous with that, of cutting out my own, uh, where I'm showing my research a little too much. The... The editor I worked with at uh, M4A Publishing, uh, it was a really interesting experience because, as she told me once, uh, writing is an art, but publishing is a business. And so she was thinking about it from a business perspective. And my own instinct is to be kind of a little, I guess, withdrawn or just, uh, uh, austere, I guess, in my uh, writing, and she was much more emotional. So we had a lot of back and forth, particularly with the first book, where she would send me a note and say, I need to be crying at the end of this chapter, and I am not crying. 
<laughs> so I would get back to work, you know, and 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 you know, turn up the emotional volume a little bit past my own comfort level. And then she would write back and say, "Still not crying," you know. <laughs> so we, I finally was able to make her cry on about the fourth or fifth effort, and it wasn't so much taking out as it was, you know, thinking about thinking more deeply about what was going through the characters' minds and, and characters' hearts and trying to identify with them. So the editing process for me was a really um, informative kind of experience. And they edited the first book really hard. But after that, I kind of sort of figured out what they were thinking about. It's not, it's not that I'm trying to meet their needs, more as like, I understand where they're coming from, and I respect that. So as the books have gone by, they've been edited less and less over the years because I'm just kind of instinctively figuring out where I need to go better than I than I did when I started. Thank goodness. Well, you became quite prolific after your first book. You've got several under your belt now. That's right. Uh, and the historical novels are, are kind of a series they're not a, I mean, they're independent books, but they set in the same location and they keep the same cast of characters through time. So the first book is set in the 1850s and 60s, the Civil War years or leading into the Civil War. And the main character there, she's, she's 25 at that point. So then by the third book, it's set in the 1880s and now she's in her mid 50s, you know. So it's been really a, a a fun thing for me and a, and a kind of challenge for me to take the character and, and mature them as, as time would naturally do and as experience would do, and, and yet to keep the character consistent from one to another. I've had people who've read one book, say the last book, and, you know, wrote me about it, and they said, do you have any other books? You know, and, and so I'd send them, you know, links to the earlier ones and they said, Oh, I had no idea, you know, which is, which is what you're hoping for, uh, in this kind of, uh, series and that people don't have to read them in order or even read them all at once or anything like that. So, yeah. That's nice because I never seem to find anyone's first book. So I like it when they're standalone and I can jump in at any time. Yeah. That's true. So, luckily, all, all three of them are still in print so far. So, uh, so far, so good anyway. Since you're writing full time now, what's your writing routine? Are you a morning person or a night person? I'm very much a morning person. Um, I love getting up before dawn, before everybody else, uh, and sitting down to write. Um I don't know exactly why. I kind of have a sense that maybe it's because we tend to wake up out of dreams, you know, uh, that uh, many people have this experience that the thing that wakes them up in the morning is a, is a vivid dream or something, and, and they find themselves waking up. But I find it that, for me anyway, I'm in a really good mental state right then. Put the coffee on, open up the laptop, and, and start to write. Um, it's... To me, it's really, and sitting in the dark is kind of productive, you know, because external influences are shut out and, 
you know, I know it's time to get on with my day when I start to hear the birds sing. That sounds really nice, but that's not me. I wander around like a vampire in the night all night, and then I want to sleep in. <laughs> Gotta go with what works. <laughs> Did real people inspire any of your characters? Not really. Um, my The main character in the novel series is, is a woman, and I was fortunate uh, through my childhood and, and adult years, really, to have grown up among and, and, and lived uh, with several really um, intelligent, strong women um, who influenced me a lot, starting with my own mother. Uh, but uh, other family members, grandparents, aunts, and, and then friends and, and loved ones. So I'm sure there's pieces of all of them that go into that main character. Um, but I can't really point to any specific individual who's been the inspiration for, for really for any of the characters. Um, the The novels take place in what starts out as a utopian community. And I did model the community on a real life 19th century utopia, uh, just to have a kind of a framework to hang it on. Uh, but beyond that, it's pretty much all made up. Well, tell us a little bit about the book you've brought to read a section for us today and so that we can hear your tone and voice in the book. Uh, this is Scattered Lights. Uh, it's the it's the story collection, and I started work in short fiction when I was oh gosh in my twenties, um, taking a few stabs at at short stories in in later college years. Um, didn't really start to feel confident in the craft until you know five or so years later. But through the years, as I said earlier, I've always tried to keep a story going, uh, even when there were other things happening. So uh, at uh, a couple of years ago, I got the idea that it was time to try to collect these these stories. And some of them go back all the way actually to, to the 1980s. There's one or two stories here that, that, they, that were first published in the 1980s, and then others which were written specifically for uh, the collection. Um, I had a, a, a different publisher, one who, who was really interested in these short stories. And, and when I sent them to him, he said, um, these are great, but but it needs a little more help. Could you write me some more? And so I thought, okay, write on command, you know, which is something I'd really never done. But it turned out quite well. So they, they range in, in uh, time period, you know, of, of about 30 years. Uh, but I'm happy in that, honestly, I don't think people can tell which ones were written first and which ones were written most recently. Uh, the story I'll, I'll uh, read uh, to you, or the opening uh, of it, uh, is a story called Signs and Wonders. And I have a couple of stories in here that involve uh, the same character, whose name is Larry. And Larry is uh, what a lot of people would describe as a religious fanatic. 
um, kind of out there on the fringes. But he's also a very sweet and thoughtful man. And so one of my challenges in in writing Larry was to write it in such a way that people couldn't, there was no way to condescend toward him the way people do, where they see somebody who, who seems kind of nutty to them, and it's really easy to kind of dismiss them as, oh, just, you know, nutcases and things like that. So I really wanted to capture the essence of, of him, um, even even as he is kind of embarrassing his friends with his proselytizing and things like that. So it was kind of a challenge I set uh, for myself. Um, so anyway, let me just read you the first uh, few paragraphs of Signs and the Wonders. The morning fog from the river came up the hollow slow, and it was slow to burn away. Larry and the other men walked through the wet grass to tend the livestock while the women cooked bacon and eggs in the big skillets someone had borrowed from a church camp. Unidentifiable birds sang. Larry had never been around livestock. In the old world, he had managed the produce department at the shop and save. So he drew shovel duty, as they called it, avoiding any rough language. They worked quietly in the wet air, it was time to butcher another steer. The men who knew what they were doing picked one out and drove it into the holding chute. At the crack of the 22, Larry barely looked up from his work. The birds paused and then continued. Larry didn't mind shovel duty. The labor had a quiet mindfulness to it, work as prayer. It gave him the right attitude. The idea in these days was to be low to the ground. When the morning chores were done, they filed back to the camp, or what passed for a camp. A hodgepodge of tents and trailers clustered around a large open-air shelter, which served as cafeteria and meeting house. Brother Moore's tent was at one end of the shelter. As they walked by, they could see him through the open flap, sitting at a card table, dribbling in a notebook, ignoring their presence. His heavy body hunched over his Schofield reference Bible. Even at that hour, he wore a white shirt and black tie. Brother Moore insisted on appearances. And that's how that story begins. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. You mentioned that Larry was in a few of the stories. Is there any common thread running through all the stories as far as theme, or are they entirely different? Well, I didn't notice it until I actually collected them because they were written individually and over a great span of time. But it was kind of interesting. When I put them all together in one place, I did notice um, a lot of the characters are, for want of a better word, stuck. Um, they need to make a decision or they're in a spot where they they feel uh, pressured or discomfort uh, and they need to do something, but they can't quite bring themselves to make that decision. And so in story after story, a lot of, of the time, the characters are trying to move from a point of 
uncomfortable stasis to something that they either do or don't succeed at at, uh, at doing. And some of the characters fail. Others try and they do the wrong thing. But they, they almost always seem to kind of, they, they start out and they've got some kind of problem that they just can't quite solve. And they're trying to figure out how to solve that problem. Uh, I, I had no idea that I kept writing that theme. I don't know what it means. But there it is. So uh, I'll let people do with that what they will. What about publicity? You know, we writers want to write. We don't want to promote ourselves. Have you found anything that worked or maybe that didn't work? Um, For me, anyway, my most successful form of publicity uh, has been making dates at libraries, um, particularly with the novel series, since I'm doing it, uh, doing historical writing, I come across really interesting things during the, you know, the period that I'm writing. And I almost always can work those things up into a, uh, a talk about something. Um, so what it uh, ends up being is uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I can generate a, a, an interesting talk about a topic that I can then go to, around to libraries and tell them about. For example, the third book in the series takes place during what was the first big timber boom in the Missouri Ozark when companies came in from the east and essentially just, you know, harvested every tree they could lay hands on and really made it kind of a mess of things. And that's a really uh, an interesting historical period, and folks like to hear about that. They don't necessarily want to hear me read uh, for an hour or 45 minutes, but they love to hear about interesting subjects. And after that, that, folks always have something they want to talk about. They want to tell me their own experiences, and we get into conversations. Um, and I, I have found that to be a really successful a way of publicizing my own work and just learning from people, you know, and that's that's been a, a great part of the experience as well. As I never come away from from a library talk without feeling like I've been I've been educated too, and that's a nice nice feeling. That's a great idea. What do you think was the best money you've ever spent as a writer? I'll, I have to say, the best money I ever spent was to go down to the Pulpwood Queen's annual girlfriend weekend in Jefferson, Texas. Um, when was that? 2017, I think, maybe. I went down there. And, you know, I live in Missouri. And so it was a bit of a trip. I had to spend money to get down there. The whole whole thing costs some money but i met um number one just a, a huge body of really enthusiastic readers uh book clubs uh, who love to read and of course they're, they're most you know mo- mostly located in the south and southwest but not completely they're all over um so just being in a in a conference room with a couple of hundred Excited readers is a really fun experience. And, uh, of course, then I got to talk to some of the book clubs over the years. And probably 50 uh, really interesting writers 
uh, some of whom I stay, you know, I, we're, we're still in touch with each other. We have a lot to talk about. Um, we, we stay uh, in touch on Facebook or other ways. So when I think about that experience, it has led me, not, I don't know whether it's uh, made money for me, but it's certainly been a, one of the most rewarding experiences that I that I've ever done. And, and sure, it costs the money, but it was well worth it. Well, that's great to hear. I'm a member of the Pulpwood Queens, and I'm going to attend my first weekend in January in Amelia Island, Florida. So I'm I'm excited and looking forward to it. Exciting. Um, I missed during the pandemic, and I'm going to miss this year because I don't have anything new uh, to to bring out to folks. But when 2023 rolls around, and I have a new book to promote, you can pretty well bet that I'll be there uh, with my timber guy's uh, shirt on. That's great. My first book, No Names to Be Given, was chosen as the September book of the month. So I'm excited. Wonderful. Wonderful. It's a great experience. Steve, always our last interview question is about our Unique writers over the age of 50. Do you have any advice for writers 50 and above? I sure do. I've been thinking about uh, that. It's, it's come up a couple of times before in conversation. And this is going to sound counterintuitive. Uh, but to me, the best thing you can do is be patient. Uh, because there's this irresistible urge, particularly if you've gotten something finished. It's like, I got to get this thing out the door. I got to find a, an agent or a publisher right now. I, I, you know, the clock is ticking. I need to get, get this thing on the move. And sometimes, the, in my experience, the best thing you can do is, is let that manuscript sit for a couple of months. Not even look at, it, but then pick it up six weeks later and reread it and think about it again because that has happened to me. And that I wrote something, I thought it was great, I typed the end, and then for whatever reason I, I didn't, you know, fool with it. And then a, a, a month or two later, I picked it up and I thought, oh, you know what, this isn't quite ready yet. This this omelet is not quite cooked, <laughs> and I need I need to run through it one more time. Uh, so the uh, the main thing I would advise is don't rush yourself. Feel patient. Uh, take your time. And and there's that was my own experience with querying agents. I really jumped in there too soon on that the first first time around. There's you know. A book is going to find its audience. It will eventually find its audience. You have to have faith in yourself uh, that it will, and 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 to resist that urge to just get it out as quickly as 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 you can, because sometimes that's not the best thing to do. I think that is great advice, and I just appreciate you so much being with us here today. And we are excited to now say that you're one of our authors over fifty. Thank you so much. It's been great to be here. Thank you for joining us today. 
Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.